I'm Brian Hu. I'm Ada Singh. And welcome to Saturday School. When your friends are watching Saturday morning cartoons, you're being forced to learn Asian American pop culture history. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Saturday School. Today, we'll be talking about the 2003 documentary Refugee by Spencer Nakasako, a filmmaker we've talked about in a previous season. In our second season about Asian Americans in love, we talked about his other film called Kelly Loves Tony. They're from opposite sides of the tracks. Kelly's a good girl and Tony's a bad guy. I knew that he used to be in a gang or whatever. And I felt kind of insecure about that, you know. Kelly told me that she kept a written diary. And so when I first met her, I said, well, this is almost the same thing, except that it can be a video diary. She got that concept like that. Maybe, Brian, we can give a little bit of a background of who Spencer Nakasako is. Yeah, well, I think one way to talk about it is, as with Kelly Loves Tony, even though he's credited as the director, it really belongs to the people he's empowered to film themselves. So Spencer Nakasako is a documentarian who, throughout the 1990s, was leading the Vietnamese Youth Development Center in San Francisco. It's sort of an after-school program where he got kids, mostly refugee kids from Cambodia, Vietnam, Laos, to teach them how to make their own films. So he would teach them how to use camcorders and tell stories about their own lives. And he sort of invented this new genre of documentary filmmaking called the video diary, which today is one of the dominant modes of YouTube storytelling. But at the time, it was a great way for him to get access to stories that he, as a Japanese American, would not be able to access in places like the Tenderloin in San Francisco. And the results were films like AKA Don Bonus that really sent shockwaves throughout American documentary. They played film festivals, they won Emmys, and it showed that this kind of community-based collaborative documentary filmmaking was possible. And Refugee is a film that he made with one of his students, Michael Siv. So even though Spencer is credited as the director of the film, it's a collaborative film, Mike, as well as the two other young men in the film, Paul and David. They were all involved in the production of it, the post-production of it. My name is Michael Siv. I'm 24 years old. Yeah, I got boat house like a motherfucker. Yeah, shit. I was born in Cambodia, but... At about the age of three, my mom and I escaped to America. It's basically about three young men who are friends from San Francisco. And they all have their own separate stories that make them refugees. Or families of refugees. David was born in the U.S. Paul was born in a Thai refugee camp. His family came to the U.S. when he was two. And they got some funding to take a trip, all three of them, as well as this film crew, to go to Cambodia in order to find the father and brother that Mike's family, just a few years before this, discovered was still alive. So it was the father and brother he never grew up with. Now that he's an adult, he wants to go to Cambodia to have a conversation with his dad. All three of them have family in Cambodia, and this is the first time for all of them back. In fact, for Paul, he's the first person in his family to ever go back. Yeah. And he's going to meet for the first time his sister. His older sister. And those are the most powerful scenes in the film for me. Like, I mean, that are just gut-wrenchingly emotional. <laughs> that whole meeting and going to his sister's house, I mean, that was, that was really, really tough for Paul. I don't think he prepared to see how, how poor his uh, sister was. Now that place they were living is like under someone's house. They don't have any walls. They have nothing. Paul's mom is packed 
like a thousand dollars for Paul to bring back to his sister so they can build a house there. So he's carrying the burden of his entire family being the first to go back. And meanwhile, David is like, he seems like he's just along for the ride. He talks a lot of trash. He's just kind of there as comic relief sometimes. But at the end of the film, even he has this moment with his family. But it's interesting because I think all three of them kind of grew up feeling pretty poor in America. Mike talks about how his family's on welfare. But then they go back to Cambodia and it's, they're the wealthy ones in a way. I don't know if that, I don't know how to frame that. No, totally. Like they go back and they realize we are the providers. So like for instance, for Paul, he doesn't really know how to be a brother or to be an uncle. At some point he realizes that the one thing that he can provide and that they sort of expect him to provide is for him to buy them stuff. Yeah, at the night market. Like to buy them clothes. Yeah, and he assumes that role. It's fascinating to see that process, that realization. Yeah, because he's like a kid too. They're so young. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're not, these are poor kids. Yeah. Although they joke about how uh, they're going to pay for some of this with Spencer Nakasako's grants. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Mike, who's kind of the main character in this story, he grew up with his mother here. They escaped when he was very young. And he always believed that his younger brother and his dad were in Cambodia together. And very early, he speaks to his brother for the first time and learns that his brother doesn't know his dad. So that's kind of his big mystery going to Cambodia. Like, what happened to his dad? And it's this idea of he spent all of his life feeling like he was missing a dad and wanting a father figure. And he has this chance to go to Cambodia to finally have a father. And he realizes that his brother in Cambodia did not have a father. Yeah, so it's sort of like, I think it's so easy for everyone to blame their separation on the war and just like the unfortunate circumstances of it. But because as a brother that also didn't live with the father, it's like if he had stayed behind in, in Cambodia, would he still have had a father? And I think that like vexes him. Yeah. What I remember the most about watching this film when I first did like a decade ago is how these three young men, Mike in particular, have in the United States, specifically in the Tenderloin in San Francisco, picked up a certain code of masculinity that you might find in like rap music, in black cinema. Particularly, there is this figure of this angry young man who has a lot of resentment to his father for leaving the family and feeling like a lot of one's own problems is a result of that. So Mike kind of sees the world through that kind of frame or he comprehends it through those kind of ways of thinking about masculinity. Mm. So he's going to try to bring that to Cambodia. Like He's going to go to Cambodia and confront his dad the way that somebody in the States who's like dad left their family to live on their own, what that conversation might look like. And what's so fascinating is like the dad is, uh, this is just what happened. We had war. Do you realize this? Yeah. And so it's also Mike's like grappling with a certain kind of impoverished young man masculinity in the United States with a sort of like war-torn masculinity in Cambodia. He's got to figure that out. Yeah. I think one of the interesting dynamics to watch is how Mike reacts meeting his dad for the first time and how his brother reacts. Because his brother is also meeting his dad for the first time. And I think his brother, I mean, he lives in Cambodia, right? So I think he has a completely different perspective. So his brother is a little bit more just grateful that his dad is back. Not that there's like a right or wrong reaction, but... Right. But I think that's part of the beauty of this movie, that there isn't really no right or wrong reaction. We just have to deal with the fact that we all grew up in different cultures. Yeah. And how are we going to coexist as a result? Yeah. And to learn each other's ways of coping. I think the brother is really fascinated by Mike. He's super fascinated by Mike. Yeah, yeah. I think he, there's a point where he says, like, when I first met you, I thought you were mean. And I think that's probably partially that masculinity that you're talking about, right? This American from the streets masculinity. 
Yeah, whereas like we don't know, like for the brother, it may have been a lot more common for him to grow up with other boys who grew up without their fathers because war tore families apart. It's so fascinating to see these confrontations, but yeah, like you said, not necessarily like judge any of it. I mean, especially for me watching it as an outsider, you know, like I don't know how to judge this, you know. So, but you're just sort of watching one person saying, "Hey, this is the war." Like if you want to blame someone, <laughs> blame like blame Pol Pot, <laughs> blame the Khmer Rouge, blame the people that. Come committed genocide and then i think michael coming from america understandably trying to grapple with that and being like look yeah i understand there's a war but is there personal responsibility there like why were you not there for my brother and but then the other side of it too is like when michael is thinking i wish i had a family i wish we could have stayed together okay so there's kind of the scene where he realizes it was his dad's decision for michael and his mom to escape I want him to understand that because of that decision that he made, you know, our family got separated. And from his dad's perspective, he wanted them to survive, right? And he's like, look, you were young. I had to make a decision for you. And then Michael, in his sort of anger, kind of just, you know, from a very complicated situation that he's just learning about right now, right? He says, look, if I could have made the decision myself, I would have wanted to stay. I would have wanted our family to stay together. And you sort of look at that and you're like, would that have been better? <laughs> you're like, what? It's like, you know, it's like, you know, it's hard, hard to say, right? Like, there's no real clear cut answer for that, right? Like, would his life have been better if their family had stayed together in Cambodia? Like, we don't know. I'm sure if you ask him now, 13 years later, I don't know, he could have the same answer. He could have a different answer. <laughs> like, who knows? <laughs> but that's what makes it so moving. The fact that it's a video diary. It's so personal. And we see somebody grappling with this new knowledge about a family he didn't even realize he had. And grappling with the idea that it's not going to be his fantasy of a family where it's just going to make everything in his life be complete, you know? The ending is still very ambiguous about what, how much healing has actually happened. Yeah. The film does make it seem like he's gotten a better perspective on his family. But to what extent he feels at peace, it's very unclear. Yeah. And I think that's real, right? Totally. Yeah, it totally feels real. But I think back to like how you're talking about the masculinity. I think there's scenes in the movie that really showcase that. The karaoke scene <laughs> where they're singing ballads like very earnestly. And then Mike, <laughs> Paul and David come and then they start like beatboxing or something. Go on, go on. Or maybe they're singing a rap song. I don't even know what's going on. Yeah, yeah they start partying. <laughs> it actually reminds us of... So before all of them went to find their family in Cambodia, they actually just went all on this little like Cambodian vacation. The three men. Basically, it's, it's like the hangover. Yeah, they took one day to themselves to settle down before they went to go find their families. I think that segment is totally like, yeah, that's what Asian Americans are like in Asia. We're tourists. <laughs> like, We're tourists that do specific things. Like we go to the clubs yeah. and then we go play basketball and show them how Americans play it. To me, like those two things are so uniquely, uh, especially like an Asian American <laughs> male thing to do in Asia. Yeah, and I think there's even like a quick second of him pretending to dry hump, maybe one of the tour guides. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh God, oh, this is why people hate Asian Americans. <laughs> no, not really, yeah. but you know, but this is yeah. why. Asians see Asian Americans coming back and they're like what 
I feel like a lot of other Asian Americans have a similar experience where when we go back to Asia, people can spot us right away. And when we're young, we think like, how can they tell? We think we look the same, right? <laughs> right, because, well, we've been otherized as foreigners. We look the same as everyone here compared to like all the white people that we hang out with back in America. But they can always spot us, you know? <laughs> and whether it's like the clothes we wear, they're basically going to clubs in Abercrombie sweatshirts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and they're rolling around the streets with the kind of swagger that's like... Yeah, swagger. There's no need to have swagger here. Why are you doing this? <laughs> But that's, I think it's, it was important for the film to set that up in the beginning. Yeah. To yeah. say, like, you know, this is the kind of masculinity they're bringing with them. But also the kind of, like, social system that holds the three of them together. And that's the bond that's going to help them get through this incredibly emotional process. Yeah. And also, yeah. like, um, after each big, like, family reunion, the three of them have opportunities just to talk about it, but also to joke around. And yeah. that kind of masculinity becomes a salve that they know that they can retreat into. When things get too crazy with the family drama, they can just be three young men having fun again. And at the end of the movie, you see them going to visit the killing fields. And it's nice because it kind of shows that in some ways it's just a beginning of a journey. Yeah. And we know for Mike that it was the beginning of the journey because about 12 years later, he he would come out with his own feature-length documentary called Days of Justice, where he ends up behind the camera following a group of Cambodian-American survivors of the Khmer Rouge as they go back to Cambodia for the Khmer Rouge trials. Yeah, they're going to attend the tribunals. That's where they're going to persecute the Khmer Rouge. That group is led by a Cal State Long Beach professor who wants it to be known that a lot of these folks who were survivors now live in the United States. And she wants to give those survivors an opportunity to speak back to get justice of their own. Because now that they're separated by an ocean, it's harder to access that kind of justice or sense of justice. So hence going back to Cambodia to become a face of that process and to say that, that Cambodian Americans, Cambodian refugees in the United States are part of that history. People can just turn their back and say, it's not my problem. It happened 35 years ago. I don't need to get involved. Oh, the court, there's not going to be any justice. Let the past be the past. But the problem is the past keeps coming back and haunting the living survivors. They're either too afraid to speak out or they suffer in silence. I'm interested in what Pang and the survivors and her and myself, how we come to terms, how we can move it forward and not, not necessarily depending on these, these, these fucking Khmer Rouge that are on trial right now, depending on them to give us truth. So for Mike Siv, this is like a second homecoming. And if in Refugee it was Spencer Nakasako filming Mike's journey, this time it's Mike filming the journey of these women going back to Cambodia. Yeah, and you guys should definitely watch both. Probably Refugee first and then Days of Justice, even though I did it backwards. <laughs> <laughs> Days of Justice is, is especially satisfying that way because Mike also brings his own story somewhat into it. And then it ends with his own becoming a father yeah. at the end of Days of Justice. Like that becomes part of that narrative as well. And for us to have learned about his relationship with his father in Refugee and then to kind of see how that leads to his own fatherhood. It's really moving. Oh, yeah, see, that's why you should have watched it in that order. But now I'm going to go back and watch Days of Justice <laughs> again, so no problem. No problem. <laughs> and how are you going to find these movies? So 
I had a friend, Brian Hu, <laughs> who gave me a DVD of Spencer Nakasako's works, which includes AK Don Bonus Refugee and Kelly Loves Tony. I think you can just buy that online. You can also stream Refugee online, or you could go to your college library, especially if your college library has an Asian American history department. They most likely either have Refugee or you should request that they order Refugee. And the Days of Justice DVD is only available for sale under the public performance category, which means it's very expensive and you need to get your college libraries to buy it. So you can I your public it. library should have it or should probably order it. Or your high schools. You can get your high schools to buy it. You can get nonprofits and community groups to buy it or college universities. Um, I'm going to do that right now. I'm going to go request. It's, I, I'm doing an infomercial. <laughs> you know, like, like Saturday school should have on its website like a, a, a forum that you can just email to your public library. Libraries with all the titles that we talk about. Yeah, we should do that. Because honestly, like, I had the DVD, but I thought it didn't work. And I was like, man, good thing UC Irvine has it. <laughs> and if it didn't, I would need to request it. Or go to your local film festivals because sometimes they have retrospective and play these things. Oh, I mean, otherwise, you're going to have to, like, I don't know, make friends with Michael Siff, but that might take longer. <laughs> these are all your options. <laughs> I'm I'm actually looking up the Vietnamese Youth Development Council website. So they basically created the DVD of the Spencer Nakasako trilogy as a fundraiser for the Vietnamese Youth Development Council. And so I just bought like 20 of them. I was like, I'm, I want to support their organization. And so I got a ton of them and I would just like give them away to people. And that's why I have one. That's why you have it. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, I would have kept it to myself. <laughs> or you can make friends with Brian Hu. Do you have any more? I think I've given them all away. Oh, okay, never mind. So that's that. So there's no reason to be friends with me. <laughs> right, yeah. So those are your options. <laughs> I think our new slogan should be, Here at Saturday School, we send you to your university libraries to watch films that you couldn't see anywhere else. <laughs> Someone's got to do that. <laughs> and if anyone out there works at a streaming site, you should know that there's all these Asian American films out there that should be made more accessible to our generation and future generations. Yeah. Saturday School is a proud member of Potluck, a collective of podcasts that feature stories and voices from the Asian American community. It's produced by me and Brian. Our theme song is courtesy of Rimsky Music and Premium Beat. Check out our website at SaturdaySchoolPodcast.com where you can find lecture notes and links to all the films we covered. Or you can tweet us. I'm at Ada Singh, A-D-A-T-S-E-N-G. Brian's at Who's Brian, H-U-S-B-R-I-A-N. And our podcast handle is Wake Up Set School. Next week, your assignment is to watch the 2006 film Cavite by Ian Gamazan and Neil Delalana. Class dismissed.